a lot of times, you know, there's been a lot of representation on the other side of the camera, but behind the lens, you know, there hasn't been as much. There's not as many, many people. It's a smaller community there even. And so I'm happy to be able to, you know, at least start some kind of legacy and make this more normalized and kind of at least break some barriers for some people. What's going on, y'all? You have just tuned in to the Black Shutter Podcast. On this show, I invite black photographers, filmmakers, editors, and creative business folks to discuss their experiences and share their wisdom. You will hear about their work, their challenges, and their inspirations. My name is Idris Talib Solomon, a creative director, photographer, and filmmaker based in Brooklyn, New York. So if you dig photography and you love the culture, keep your mind open and your headphones locked. This is the Black Shutter Podcast. It's a rare but not uncommon scene to see black people engage in mountain climbing, snowboarding, backpacking, and many other outdoor sports. Because of this disparity, we have very little representation. We don't see ourselves in these sports often, and this leads to a lack of representation behind the lens as well. Our guest today wants to shift the narrative to make the outdoor world more inclusive of black athletes and photographers. His work is focused on commercial and editorial content for the outdoor industry. He is an avid cyclist, climber, backpacker, and snowboarder who combines his passions with his creativity to craft authentic stories in the mountains. His client list includes Patagonia, Nike, National Geographic, and Outside Magazine. Evan Green, welcome to the Black Shutter Podcast. How you feeling out there, bro? Good. Thanks for having me on the show. I'm to list a couple episodes and it's really awesome getting to be introduced to different photographers and different walks of life so i'm excited to kind of share my perspective today yeah absolutely man and thank you for agreeing to be on and you know like you said share your perspective i think you know you are you you have a very interesting perspective just because of the nature of the work that you do you know um for those who don't who, who may not be familiar with you um tell us what kind of photography do you do what's your specialty yeah uh my niche in photography is the outdoor industry so i do a lot of uh, mountain biking kind of bike photography climbing camping uh skiing snowboarding so that's kind of the realm i'm in and working with the different brands that are in the, the outdoor industry is what i mainly do that's great that's great so how did you you know how did you get into that space of, of, you know, being involved in the outdoor world as much as you are? Yeah. I mean, it's partially just due to my own personal passions. That's stuff that I love to do. And so I picked up a camera really initially just because I wanted to start recording some of those memories and the trips that I went on and being able to look back on them. So yeah, I just, I'm an avid um, participant in the outdoors and I kind of added the photography element in there, too. And so I just had a chance to kind of combine my two passions there. That's great. I think photography is a perfect craft to pair with any other thing that you're interested in, because then it gives you that, that real unique perspective, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it's really helpful to be able to, you know, be kind of one of the athletes and also able to, to photograph what's going on in the community. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So uh, where are you calling from? I live in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Okay, uh, and where are you from? Is that where you're from initially? Uh, no, I was born in Queens, but didn't live there for too long. I moved uh, shortly after to Dallas, Texas area, Plano, uh, Texas, when I was about two years old. All right. Oh, and so you, you're New York native? <laughs> technically, yep. I'm a New Yorker. Okay. <laughs> and okay. that's where my dad's from. So he's a New Yorker and uh, was working out there at the time I was born. All right. So how long were you in Texas before you moved to... Like, yeah, how long were you in Texas? Uh, I was in Texas for about 18 years, graduated from high school there, and then eventually went on to college in Pennsylvania and transferred to school in Ohio. Oh, wow. Okay. So uh, what did you study in school? I was uh, I studied geology, and so I worked as a geologist after I graduated and did that for a few years before kind of making the jump into full-time photography. Wow. So do you? how do you see, like, the, your, you know, your... um you know, experience and knowledge of geology, you know, um, you know, com combined with photography. 
Yeah, I mean, that's true. Even doing things like Everest, you know, I had almost a different perspective there. Not only is it a difficult peak, but it's kind of the highest point in the world and just kind of the Himalayan range and how that, that whole area is being formed by the subduction of the plates there and the mountain, the range is still growing. So I had other things on my mind, you know, just looking at the mountains other than you get to the top where that it's a pile of rocks. So yeah, yeah definitely say I kind of, I'm always lucky to be able to go to different geological areas and kind of take photos. Yeah. So for those who don't know uh, what Evan is mentioning, as far as, um, you know, summiting Mount Everest uh, is that, uh, Evan is a part of a group of uh, mountain climbers called Full Circle, and um, I actually met. I didn't get to meet you that day. I met some of the other members on your team. Yeah, uh, I think we're just barely getting cross paths that day. I know, I know. So um, I was called in to do a, a photo shoot for Anscape uh, alongside Kareem Black, who's on an earlier episode. And um, Kareem was upstairs doing portraits of this team of like this. I think you're the first team of all black, uh, you know, climbers to summit Mount Everest. Is that correct? Yep. Yes. So this team, first all black team, uh, Kareem is upstairs photographing the portraits of of these amazing athletes, and I was on a different floor photographing uh, some of the essential equipment that the team needed while they were on you know um this expedition so i met kareem that day and then we became friends to got him on um got him on a podcast and when i was doing research on the different members of full circle i saw that evan was or is a professional photographer as well and i was like oh i gotta get his story because not only is it a crazy not crazy not only is it a, an amazing uh you know, accomplishment to, to make it to the top of this mountain, but also documenting that experience along the way, I feel like is a very, very interesting story. So I had to get Evan on here. So um, that's what he was referring to um, when he mentioned Mount Everest. So I would love for you to describe like the, the balance of, you know, being really proficient in, in the outdoor world and being proficient in photography. Like how do you juggle the two? Yeah, um, it's definitely something where, the, you know, you, the more skilled you are in both of those, the, the more it's going to help you out. Um, especially a lot of times, a lot of other photographers are in a studio setting or something like that, where things are moving a lot more slowly and you have a lot more control over everything that's going on. So I've kind of learned to have to have to roll the punches a lot more and just be really flexible to get the photos that I'm looking for. So, yeah, it's just really helpful to know the sport and be proficient and not have to worry about, you know, kind of the technical side of the sport mm -hmm. a lot of times and be able to move around within the situation and get the, the photos you need. Yeah, right, because I imagine, like, if you're fumbling with – if you're up on the mountain and you have – I forgot some of the terminology, but you have, like, your your rope tied to the uh, – I don't know. You have a lot yeah. of – you have a lot of – all right, go ahead. Yeah, normally have, you're just on the fixed line with a you know carabiner on tether carabiner, to hold yeah. you onto the mountain. Mm -hmm. So yeah. So if you have like this, you know, uh, line hooked into a carabiner, and then you have like your camera with its straps, and you know, you're trying to get a shot, but you're also trying to stay safe. You can't be fumbling with a wire or fumbling with like buttons. You have to kind of know where everything is and how they function, like really, really quickly, right? Yeah, definitely. And so, yeah, it was definitely points where you're like, okay, don't drop the camera anywhere. This is, I gotta, you know, kept it on a, a neck loop a lot of the times and mm -hmm. had it in a, a pouch. But yeah, even with gloves on and some of the spaces, you know, it's a pretty steep slope that you're on. So it would have just <laughs> rocketed down the hill and be, disappeared into a crevasse, probably. So yeah, I definitely had to be confident in what I was doing. Um, as as much as I could, you know. Uh, describe the like the transition of like studying geology, right, and then picking up a camera. Like, how did you go from, you know, basically pivoting your career in a sense to to focusing more on photography as your uh, as as your profession? Yeah, 
I initially just got into photography as a hobby and just kind of take my own photos. But I was always kind of initially influenced by a lot of the outdoor catalogs and some of the shots that, that you know, would be featured in the, in the catalogs trying to sell clothes and different gear and things like that that were really captivating me to go on my own adventures and to capture them. But I would say more than anything, I am a product of YouTube and was pretty self-taught um, after just Googling a little bit of stuff. I'm like, kind of what's a good beginner camera to buy? I ended up getting one of the early Sony A3000 mirrorless cameras and then just diving into YouTube from there and learning about shutter, shutter speed, you know, aperture, um, you know, just different ISOs, things like that. And composition, of course, and how to work it and, you know, more and more into photography on both the technical side and the creative side. And I just fell in love with it, really. And it was really a blessing just to be in this age where all that information was at my fingertips. And I could kind of learn as I went along or I was like, oh, I'm getting story images. Why? And you kind of you look that up and see what's going on. So I kind of just taught myself along the way. So something that I noticed is... Uh there are some people who pick up a camera for the first time and automatically start to claim that they are professional. Then other people who are really good and really talented and are making money as photographers but still don't feel like they're professional, right? Um, and some mm -hmm. people just don't even um, know when to sort of like claim it or take ownership that they're, um, that they're really good and proficient in photography. As a self-taught photographer, when did you know that you were good or that you were good enough to go out and, and make this a career? Yeah, I didn't really know where I'd go at the time, but it was also just kind of one of those hard work, you know, luck is just hard work and opportunity meeting um, where I ended up leaving my job to move down here to New Mexico with my, my wife as she started residency as a physician. And um, I left my job in Denver at the time to move down here. So I was looking for a new job and kind of started to do photography on the side. And then also just the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, but yeah, just kind of that all kind of happening all at the same time in that summer along with COVID was a really crazy point in my life. But I started to um, just be the person that we're in. A lot of people looked around and saw that there wasn't a whole lot of diversity in the outdoor industry and that this was a problem. And, you know, they wanted to hire diverse creators, diverse talent, things like that. And I was kind of there and the opportunity presented itself. So I kind of got a, a lot of work up off the get-go from that mm. and then was able to prove myself, I feel like, and kind of maintain those contacts and do good work. And people saw, you know, what my my skill level was and I was able to continue working with a lot of these brands and building relationships in the industry. So I think that's kind of how I transitioned into that professional realm in my opinion. Nice. You know, um I see that you've worked with brands like Patagonia, Nike, uh, National Geographic. You know, these are some of the heavy hitters in the sports and outdoor world, right? Like mm -hmm. yeah. you know and and capitalizing or, or you know, really taking advantage of the opportunity presented to you, um, you know, following the Black Lives Matter movement, you know, um, and folks looking for more people of color. Um, what did it mean to you as a, as a black man in these spaces where numbers are really, really low? What did it mean for you to be like on these assignments, making the work that you were making for them? Yeah, I mean, it, to me, representation was one of the, the issues of the industry. And to, to fix it, you know, I think we needed to have more diversity. And I think a lot of people realize that. And so I was proud, you know, I was happy to be doing that work and creating those images that I felt like would more represent the whole community in the outdoor industry. Um, so I was really proud of what I was doing, kind of like, you know, it's like, oh, well, this is a gap. Let's fill that in, you know. Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of the approach I took. Yeah, you know, um, I'm from New York, I'm from Brooklyn, and um, I took a very similar approach, but from a much more safer vantage point. So um, I was a, I wanted to fill the gaps in the community that I knew, right, um, mm -hmm. in telling stories that were underrepresented, undercovered. Um, so I understand that completely, um, and I think it's just, 
it's amazing to be in the spaces that you're in where uh, it doesn't feel like this. I think the numbers are growing, right? Where um, yeah. of, of black folks who are out uh, rock climbing and mountain climbing and, you know, um, just in the outdoor sports world. Um, the numbers are growing, um, but you chose to go into something that was can be like typically uh, dangerous, right? Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, like how does it feel to 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 know like you are one of the few sort of like spearheading, you know, this movement? Yeah, I haven't thought about it too much. It's just kind of day to day what's going on, but it's. I mean, it's an honor to work on some of the projects that I've been invited to help collaborate in. And, um, you know, I'm proud of my images and kind of, you know, working with a variety of people really is what I'm in it for. And just a lot of times, you know, there's been a lot of representation on the other side of the camera, but behind the lens, you know, there hasn't been as much. There's not as many, many people. It's a smaller community there even. And so I'm happy to be able to, you know, at least, start some kind of legacy and make this more normalized and kind of at least break some barriers for some people like some others have before me. You know, I don't know if you've had Stan, Stan Evans on the show. He's a great photographer that's been shooting snowboarding in the back country, you know, for the past 20, 30 years out there. And it was great to connect with people like him and getting into the sport. Even like I was growing up, it's actually cool to follow you on Instagram with your son. Um, skateboarding and everything because that's just, that was my number one sport when i was a kid and all i cared oh, about nice. anything was <laughs> skateboarding up and down in my driveway and what got me into that was uh swimmer masakela on x games you know like hosting and seeing him out there with everyone in the action sports world you know um was something i was like okay i, I kind of belong here too and like this is something i want to do that i'm just i love it i don't know why it but it's what makes me happy I mean, that's great, man. And uh, yeah, you know, it's funny. I just came back from, um, you know, um, documenting my son skating all day. He had today off, so when he when he's off, we go out, take him to skate parks, and document him. And um, so it's cool to watch him develop his love and passion for this sport. And just by his his interest in it, I become more interested in it. And I'm helping him with research and I'm helping to introduce him to some of the black skaters that are out there. Um, you know, he, mm-hmm. I mean, I want him to see everything, right? But I, I want him to also see that there are uh, skaters that look like him who are really, really talented as well and are winning awards and are professionals and all of those things. But he can study who he wants, right? But I want him to know like mm-hmm. this, that we're out there as well. Um, because these are sports that, for me growing up, in New York, I, wa- I always wanted to skate, but I never saw anybody who looked like me in my neighborhood skating, and I felt like I would get beat up because it was like yeah. uh, it was uh, the the 80s, and that was just something that you know nobody was skating. That was something that like mm-hmm. white kids in the suburbs did, but now it's great to see like in 2022, there's a whole community, diverse community, but there's a whole black community of skaters out there. And um, it's just great to see. And it's also great to see, like, things are expanding into other areas where, um, you know, black folks weren't necessarily getting involved in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. So you are a member of Full Circle, right? Can you tell yes. us a little bit about this group and how you became a member? Yeah, Full Circle is the first all-black expedition as Summit Everest, uh, we had an expedition just this past spring of 2022. Um, and yeah, it was an amazing group. Phil Henderson was the leader of the group and he lives in Cortez, Colorado. And he's been a, a pretty prolific figure in the outdoor industry for several you know, decades now, really. Mm. And so he really put the team together and part of it was he kind of picked a lot of people that he had actually met before in, in person um, that he wanted to, you know, take on this trip and thought, he, you know, that they'd be capable of climbing Everest and being a contributing player to the team. So, yeah, Phil contacted me about a year out from the, the expedition to get on board. So the expedition was, I think, what, this past May, was it? Yeah, yes, exactly. All right, so the expedition was this past May 2022. So back around 
let's say May 2021, you get a a, a, a call or email about joining this this group of climbers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, I initially kind of joined in just to help with some social media stuff, and it just evolved from there. So what was your role supposed to be to like that to as a photographer to contribute to the social media? Yeah, and just kind of help uh, manage social media accounts and things like that. And then I kind of was going along with the team and then going up to base camp and then eventually going to the summit was the plan. So, Oh, wow. So uh, Phil Henderson, he basically assembled this group, like the Avengers, mm-hmm. different different black, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, outdoor folks from different parts of the country, right? Like, how does that mm-hmm. work? How do you how do you assemble a team from all from from different states and different cities around the country to then collaborate on this this um, you know taxing uh, ex- uh, you know experience. Yeah, there was definitely a lot of Zoom calls, especially during the pandemic, where we couldn't travel and meet up as much as I think we wanted to. Um, so a lot of Zoom calls just for logistics and planning and seeing where everyone's at. And uh, Phil had been on Everest before and to Nepal several times, so. That was really great to have his expertise and his leadership on what we need to get done, when, and how to, to go about that, essentially. And then we could divvy up tasks from there to make sure everything was running smoothly. And then uh, just raising money and kind of crowdfunding was a big part of, of mm-hmm. the expedition as well and getting sponsors on board and everything like that. So. Yeah, I can imagine, right? Um, how many athletes were there in total? We had Abby, who's from Florida, and she owns one of the climbing gyms down there. It's one of the, the few black-owned climbing gyms in the U.S. And so she's a rock star. Uh, we have Fred, who is a North Face athlete and just kind of all-around climber. He was also a college football player and just all-around good guy. <laughs> um, Manoa, uh, I think he's located in Bozeman, and he's also a fellow North Face athlete with Fred. So they're really proficient in the mountains and mm. – um, we're great to have on the team. Um, then we had Eddie. He's located in Denver, uh, and he's a school teacher and just amazing climber, especially, you know, alpine climbing and tri climbing was really his strength and skill set. And he also had a great leadership mentality for just kind of getting stuff done behind the scenes. Uh, Rosemary was, uh, she lives in, I believe, California right now, but um, she yeah, such a, ball of energy and like burst of like you know life for the team too she's really outgoing and also a Knowles instructor so she had been teaching you know outdoor courses for years mm-hmm. and she has a great skill set in the mountains so it was really awesome to have her on the team um then we had kg who is from kenya and he's also uh, an outdoor Knowles guide and instructor so he's you know been guiding on mount kenya and mount Kilimanjaro. he's used to these big mountains and just, you know, medical dealings on the mountains and team, team energy and logistics. So again, just another great person to have on your team. And then we have Thomas who's going for the the seven summits. I think he's on number six right now. Wow. As the seven tallest points in the world. So it's really great to have him on the team. Uh, He's based in Colorado as well, I believe. Um, yeah. So that sounds like. And then, <laughs> is, oh, there's, there's also Dom. Yeah, Dom <laughs> was um, a. He's from New York as well, and was a, a you know college professor, and kind of got more and more into the climbing world, and actually spent several months in Nepal prior to the, the expedition, and was just amazing. You know, just great character. Wow. So to assemble this team, it sounds like every like. Uh, a few of you have like very different skill sets and and um, sources of information uh, to kind mm-hmm. of balance each other out. You know, like from from you know your your education in geology to be able to look at different parts of the mountain and the weather, right? And then somebody mm-hmm. else who's a trained who 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 teaches people how to climb, right? And then somebody yeah, else yeah. who's a big ball of energy. And sometimes, like, aside from their technical, physical skills, just the emotional balance of having this person there to kind of, like, 
keep the energy going if if the group's energy like dies down right seems like there's like a really good mixture of people that come together to make this collaborative effort happen yeah yeah and we actually had adina on the team as well who was uh she was just in base camp but helping with a lot of the communications and technical stuff she works uh, offshore on boats so again another one of those like critical team things where we had just a hint of you know internet service a few times a day there so it was really good to work with her on charging stuff and just be able to communicate with the outside world and all that sort of thing. So like, yeah, you were saying it was really the whole team collaboration that really allowed this expedition to be successful, in my opinion. Just everyone's skill sets coming together to get it done. So were you also known as the photographer of the yes, yeah. of the group? Yep, I took a majority of the photos. Um, there was another... Uh, person local to Nepal, Amrit, who's also taking some photos. So between the two of us, we took almost all the stills on the trip. Minus, you know, some iPhone photos that everyone, of course, just snapping. But we took a lot of the, you know, full digital files and things like that with cameras. Wow. So how do you how do you prepare your gear? Like you're going into like uh, some crazy terrain. You're going into, uh, you know, some really intense temperatures. Mm-hmm. Right. How do you store your gear or do you have like any housing for when you do take the camera out to make images like what's your process of preparing your photography equipment for an experience like this yeah um for the most part that was another great part of just kind of being involved in the outdoor industry i was able to talk to a few of the other kind of nat geo photographers and people that had done other work for maybe the north face or something at these high elevations and see what was working for them and also um in nepal i noticed some of the the sherpa like pemba and the long there was one similar theme here and it's that a lot of people were shooting on just the sony mirrorless cameras um which is also what i had already been shooting on so that was pretty reassuring i guess that they would at least survive up there and mm-hmm pretty good to go for the most part um the biggest issues i ran into was kind of like lenses fogging if you were around base camp or advanced base camp if you went into like a, a tent or something and then came back out just the moisture differences yeah. and temperature differences would just fog up your your whole system you have to let it sit in one temperature for about an hour until it let it kind of equalize back out so you could be like put out of commission if that happens um and then uh going pushing up to the summit the batteries definitely, you know, can only take so much with the cold temperatures. So mm. those died really quickly. And but being kind of a ski photographer and being on the mountains of war, I've had that happen. So I just kind of kept them in my gloves and in my my warm jacket. And then if I needed to take a shot, I'd have to pull the battery out and pin the camera. And it would be warm enough to shoot for about 10 to 15 minutes. Wow. See, thank you. Because that's some that's like a trick that I didn't know uh people do, right? And, um, you know, I don't know how many folks out there who live in like super cold climates and have like battery issues when you're, when you're making images, but, but that right there is, I I think is pretty cool is, uh, keeping the batteries warm until Mm -hmm. it's time to use them. And I know for many, um, photojournalists out there, that's like blasphemy, right? It's like, you need to be ready to cap, you know, make the image as soon as you see it. But for what what you were doing, you also needed to be a little bit more intentional about every frame you needed to make sure like this was something that was worth setting up your camera for right yeah and especially with it being a two two month expedition i kind of learned that it was going to be a marathon you know you can't be kind of quite snapping non-stop all day long it's just gonna be too much stuff to sort through and not all that's going to be really relevant at the end of the day so yeah i did have to kind of discern what was important, what what to shoot, and also was it even feasible to kind of get over to that wow. area or whatever it was going on? You said this was a two um, month. Yep, it was. I think seven weeks total, technically, but yeah, almost two months out of the country. Okay, okay, out the country, right? So, how yeah, long was yeah. the actual um, summit up to the mountain? Um, leaving from base camp to to the summit and back down was just about a week of that. And how were you able to uh, keep your uh, charger, keep your stuff charged? Were you able to? Um, I did bring solar panels, which worked fairly well, especially in base camp. 
Um, I could set up like a little goal zero battery and mm-hmm. solar panels during the day. And even on the backpack, while trekking around and stuff, we'd uh, charge, you know, a, a battery bank. Um, and then there was a generator at base camp too. They'd run sometimes. Um, there's also a film crew there. So they need to do a lot more power than I did <laughs> for sure. And um, people had laptops and things like that for communicating and logistics. Um, so we had a little bit of power. But higher up on the mountain, it was pretty much just I brought power banks and tried to mm-hmm. carefully calculate how much you had. You know, it's yeah. like, okay, it's half full. We got another day left. We can charge this stuff. Maybe let, let the phone die or something. Yeah, right. Keep the camera running. So, yeah. Wow. That's amazing. That's so much to, to, to account for, you know. Um, and mm-hmm. I, I can imagine that experience is like a... It's uh, it's an experience that many people want to check off their bucket list, right? And you're up there doing it, so you know you want to document it because uh, it takes so much to get back there and to get back up mm-hmm. there, right? So yeah. calculating your battery life and um, when the sun is out and how to you know charge through solar panels and share the different power sources amongst all the different climbers. Uh, man, logistically, it sounds... Um, it sounds like a lot of moving parts. Yeah, definitely, definitely was a lot to keep track of. But um, I do feel like kind of the experience of just doing a lot of backpacking trips or bikepacking or something like that, you kind of get get somewhat accustomed mm-hmm. to just, you know, making sure the camera is operating out there in, in all conditions. So how do you balance your mind between, you know, staying focused on the goal of, you know, getting to the top and also documenting your experience. Yeah, it's definitely, those are definitely some of the harder moments, especially I would, you know, things would kind of slip by that you knew you wanted to shoot, but you just couldn't with the gloves on and the line going up the fixed line behind you, you would slow it down five minutes and you maybe drop a glove and it just wasn't worth it. And you'd have to slow someone down to get the shot, you know? So there was just moments that, was so they were so beautiful or so awesome and you just kind of watched it happen in front of you you couldn't do much yeah um but then at other times you know it was i knew it was gonna be worth it to a lot of times i would wait places too if someone was behind me and there was a really beautiful area or the light was perfect you know i'd kind of wait there hoping sometimes you know 30 minutes waiting for the next climber to kind of catch up and be in that area so i could get a shot of them oh wow so you're not all like sort of like clustered together y'all are making y'all going at your own pace in a sense yeah that was kind of one of the things that uh i think a lot of people even myself going into it didn't really realize as much i thought yeah it's gonna be kind of a full team all huddled together but mm-hmm. when we were moving around the mountain a lot of times um people it was just easier for them to move at their own pace and people at different fitness levels people want to use different amounts of oxygen this and that so um we kind of did get, you know, spread out while you're moving through the mountains at times and would either regroup at certain checkpoints or just regroup at different camps and things like that. And just kind of, you know, you didn't feel any pressure to move with the team if you were moving slower that day or you wanted to get there fast to beat the heat or something, you mm-hmm. could do that. Um, but it, it made my job harder, in my opinion, just because, yeah, I, I thought there'd be a lot more of these kind of group shots of everyone yeah. together and, you know, on the mountain and uh, people are spread out. And so some people I couldn't catch and then the other person doesn't get documented either because they're all the way in the back or something. So mm-hmm. it was kind of, it was hard, tricky to balance that, but just trying to keep in mind where everyone was at and keep it even. So, you know, looking at your work, it looks like, you know, your work skews a little bit more towards editorial and commercial and yeah um so for for this particular experience it's it feels like you might have had to put on a more photojournalistic slash documentarian hat like like is that correct yeah every day was kind of figuring out what the story is and how to capture it best it felt like um so uh a lot of my editorial or the commercial stuff is kind of you know, just kind of however the adventure plays out with a certain particular product or something like that. So I, I do kind of, I would say I, my style is photojournalistic more than anything of being very hands off um, mm-hmm. and just kind of observing 
the situation and trying to get the best shots from what I can without interfering too much and kind of um, staging too much is, is my real photography style. Wow. Even in your commercial work? In a, in a lot of it, yeah. Uh, I'll kind of, you know, if you need to get certain shots, we'll we'll put something together. But I like to just kind of, especially if you're working with athletes, just kind of let the athletes be themselves and mm-hmm. do what they do best, you know. And I just like to step back and kind of document them doing their thing. And, it, and so if they have on that certain, you know, brand, then that's great. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I wouldn't say I have a, a heavy directing, you know, inter- interference style. What's up, family? If you're enjoying this episode, do us a solid by leaving us a five-star rating or reviewing the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Play. We appreciate the support. So on that note, we're going to get back into the show. Peace. With your editorial portrait, action, sports, outdoor, lifestyle, you know, um, style of photography like how did you arrive at this recipe for for your style especially like being self-taught like you know these are like you know it feels like you're seeing you're seeing your environment unfold um in a very whole picture type of way where you're able to see the portrait in 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 somebody and you're able to see the landscape in in the environment and you're also able to put these two things together like how did you arrive at this recipe for your style well yeah thanks that's definitely something i kind of work on is i yeah i know a lot of people do like kind of tighter headshots or they only shoot landscapes but i've always kind of tried to find that place for the the people and the, the landscapes intersect a lot of times um and yeah i guess i just like uh, maybe partly my personality too. I'm kind of introverted. So I just kind of like to observe what's going on and not really, you know, tell anyone what to do and just see how, how they interact with the environment and capture that, you know, and I think I do try to capture those almost, you know, I think authentic gets thrown around a lot there, but I do genuinely try to find like kind of people's authentic little quirks and movements and who they are and capture that on camera within, within the scene. Um, so that's kind of part of how my style is built. And then just also um, looking at other, you know, outdoor adventure photographers over the years and Jimmy Chin and just everyone that's in the, you know, the, the catalogs that get milled out. So, mm-hmm. You know, it's funny. I'm, I'm looking at your work now and, um, you know, I just came from doing a workshop with uh, some teens, uh, Teen Academy. And, you know, it's always funny to work with young people where, a lot of times they they make a lot of um, vertical images, mostly because mm-hmm. they they're seeing a lot of things on their phone, and um, yep. so they they start to take a lot of photos vertically when horizontally, like they might, you know, um, get their point across a little bit clearer. Um, mm-hmm. But you know, I'm, I'm looking at your work and I, I feel like I you you use the vertical very well. And I think um, for someone photographing like, um, you know, in like these amazing outdoor environments, when you do turn the camera vertical, it makes sense to help tell a picture, to help set the tone of the environment that these people are in. You know, I'm looking at one image right now. You have these two bikers on this path. You got all this like, you know, dried land going towards the the top of the image and then like these mountains in the back and it's like that just works you know it sets the tone perfectly for this for this image and you do that throughout you know some other images as well so um i just thought it was really interesting coming off of seeing how young younger people are using the vertical versus like someone who's a little bit more established or works in an environment where it actually makes sense to go vertical it's just a note Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I probably do shoot vertical maybe too much, but that also, I feel like I'm definitely influenced by Instagram there a little bit. <laughs> Just the most real estate and some of those images catch your eye more. But I, I would say that's influenced me as well. Yeah, I mean, yeah, thanks. we have to remember where a lot of people are viewing our work. Mm-hmm. And um, old school photographers can get upset and say, ah, oh, no. Never turning it vertical. Never doing a portrait type picture or whatever. Ah, 
but you know, people are looking at images on phones and people are making images specifically for mobile. You know, um, it's not a it's not a bad thing. It's just the way that the uh, the industry is evolving and progressing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. So I, I see that you are like a cinematographer or slash director as well. Uh, I've done I've been on assignments in the past where I was trying to do both video and stills on the same on the same project like the same day Mm -hmm. and that gets really challenging really quick you know sometimes deciding is this something that I need to get um, like video footage of or is it stronger to get this as a as a still and I I was told that Mm -hmm. when you're trying to do both video and stills on the same assignment they both suffer Uh, what is your experience Mm -hmm. doing video and, and, and stills for a project yeah, it's it's not my favorite thing because yeah, you're right. You end up kind of just putting fifty percent into both of them, and if you know there's a reason or a limited budget or something that you you need to do that, it's fine. But yeah, I really like to work with someone else that can be. You can both be grabbing stuff at the same time and not forgetting. And for me, I tend to prioritize the video stuff if I'm shooting video. It just because I feel like I can grab photo photos more quickly and easily but then it's almost comes to bite me because i realized half the day is going on i'm taking two photos i should probably catch up and that kind of thing so now you're just midday trying to grab something in the photo department you know and it's it's hard um definitely test your skills and your efficiency as a creator i would say trying to do both photo and video on the same assignment i would i would definitely say they suffer and don't that's not a relationship where they kind of get stronger together and like you're you know bouncing off each other you're mainly just stressed out about both things and not doing a good job in my opinion yeah you have to be decisive like you have to say Mm -hmm. you know what i'm going video right now and i'm not going to think about the photos that i'm missing and vice versa yeah you know so uh what was your first uh big client like when you get that Um, call that was like oh wow i can't believe i just got this phone call or email yeah so pretty much the first substantial amount i made was from fat tire and they were riding the colorado trail and someone dropped out the last minute so i had about a week to prepare and they asked me if i wanted to come along and and shoot it and this was just a few weeks after i left my job as a geologist and I had been preparing just personally to ride the Colorado Trail for the past few years, and it was a big dream of mine. And so they called, asked if I wanted to join along, and offered, you know, $2,000, which is more than I'd made before ever. So I said, yes, you know, of course, I'll be there. And I, that was an amazing experience being to, you know, ride the trail with some professional athletes and, you know, the company – used my photos for marketing and they were pretty well received and kind of was a, a launching point for me. And then I continued just to have a great relationship work with them as a client too, with uh, new Belgian brewing doing different projects. So that's, that would, they were the first ones kind of even my first big break. And I'm thankful for that and getting to do one of my dreams of bikepacking across the entire state of Colorado <laughs> over wow. two weeks while shooting it all was incredible way to get started. And you did that on the bike? Yeah, yeah, that was on on mountain bikes. Ah, oh, that's great. Yeah, about five hundred miles. Five hundred miles over the <laughs> course of a week. Uh, two weeks. Two yeah. weeks. Wow. When you um like sleeping and setting up tents or like how'd that go? Mm-hmm. Yeah, carrying the tents with us, sleeping bag, um, resupplying for food at little gas stations and stores along the way, and camping out. Yeah, we had a, a support vehicle along the way in case anything got really bad. But for the most part, we were on our own out there. That's great, man. I think one of the greatest things about photography is when, especially as as a professional, is when you find that path that you know is your path and and it involves you photographing things that are meaningful to you um, in your own style and voice um, and getting paid a good amount to do it. When a lot of those things come into play, it just feels like everything is working out. And... and, um, you know, for you to be able to go on an experience like that, 
uh, across the state of Colorado, right? Uh-huh. Across the state of Colorado, um, 500 miles documenting, you know, um, the whole experience. Like, that's something that a lot of people pay to do, you know, or they have to take yeah. off time from work in order to be able to figure out how to have an experience like that. And it's just amazing that as a photographer, like, you were able to experience that, document it, and get paid to do it, you know? So when mm-hmm. those things all come together, man, it's just like a, it's just a huge blessing, man. So congrats to you for being able to, you know, bring photography into this other world of yours and, and bring those worlds together, man. That's really dope. Thanks. Yeah, it was really special. And yeah, I definitely get to go on some cool trips and special opportunities as a photographer that I'm really thankful for. Yeah, man. Um, I was fortunate enough to go uh, to Fiji and work on a project for Amazon TV. And before, oh, that's right. You were, did you work on the um, toughest race with the Eco yeah. Challenge, right? Show yeah, that I, <laughs> I wanted to ask you about that just because it's. I've heard war stories. I I think Tara was on there, and then oh, you know, um, you know Tara, Mark. Yeah, Mark too. Um, yep. Yeah, so. Yeah, sure. <laughs> those guys and Corey Rich. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Know. Everyone just seems to have the craziest stories from that. So I was interested in what oh, your yeah. perspective was. You know, so it was funny because I get this call to go to Fiji, and you know, it was, it was a it was nine photographers on this team, and when they sent the email saying like, "Hey, introducing the team," right? They sent everybody's. Um, Website addresses, right? Portfolios. So I start mm-hmm. clicking on all these photographers' portfolios, and I see people hanging off of cliffs, and I see people hang- swimming with sharks, and I see these I see these photographers just like all over crazy, crazy uh, environments, man. And you know, we were on this <laughs> Zoom call, and they're talking about yeah, some we're gonna be at base camp, and you know, uh, you're going to be in the mountains and you have to be self-sustained for uh, five days, the max, which means that you have to, you know, have you know, live in one location for like, you know, three to five days and on your own. Like you have to have the proper food and you have to have your own little stove and sleep in a tent mm-hmm. all the times and learn how to figure out how to wash yourself and all of that stuff. And I'm sitting here hearing all of this like, and I'm, I raised my hand on the Zoom call, and I'm saying, hey, guys, I'm, I'm from Brooklyn, y'all. I don't know half of what y'all talking about. And, you know, I don't know how I'm going to make it out there. And they all start laughing. And they said, it, don't worry. you. Your job is to basically uh, document what's happening at the different base camps. So you're not going to be up in the mountains. You're not going to be hanging off of cliffs or anything like that. I was like, all right, thank God, man. But before, <laughs> but but you know, preparing for it's funny. I, I bought, you know, I had a masterclass subscription, and I watched Jimmy Chin's uh, episode. Uh, I watched his masterclass because I was like, if I'm gonna be out there in the jungle, and, and, <laughs> you know, I need to know something. And I thought I was gonna learn how to take care of myself by watching his masterclass, man. So, mm-hmm. but um, yeah, nice. you know, um, it, it it was cool though because everybody had their own specialty, and um my specialty just happened to have my feet on the ground, which was great. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> looks like quite the, quite the event out there. Got beautiful. Oh yeah, it was one of the, one of the, um, dopest experiences of my career so far. 100%. Nice. So, you know, how do you, how do you continue to get work? You know, um, especially like in this industry, like, you know, I, I imagine marketing, like might be a little bit different for you than for other photographers. Yeah, I, I do think it's a little bit different in the outdoor industry when you kind of look at other other commercial photographers or editorial work. Um, it's just a lot smaller, in my opinion. It kind of everyone knows each other, but that's also kind of one of the strengths that I found. And a lot of it is just kind of word of mouth. And when you know you do a good job, or someone sees that you're shooting for this company, then they're like, oh oh, we'd love that too, you know, or something. So, um, yeah, I'd say a lot of it's just word of mouth and being, you know, how being on productions, it's if you're working hard and doing your job and like 
cooperating with everyone. Everyone appreciates that. And like, you know, the whole creative project is a lot better and you can move on from there and people want you to come back. Yeah. Um, so I found that, that, that that's, you know, one of the biggest keys. And, um, you know, honestly, I do feel like social media is really helpful for me. Um, there's a lot of creative directors and people in marketing and different brands that I, you know, see are following me. So I try to do, be intentional with what I post a lot of times and just to show them what I'm doing and kind of what kind of work I do. If they're interested, then they send me an email or try to connect with me a lot of times. So, so I, I do think that's real. I know some folks who just post images on their social and they get responses and people say, Hey, I love that work you did with X, Y, Z brand. I would love for you to do that for us. Um, mm -hmm. and then there are some who are actively setting up meetings and making phone calls and, and, and looking up names in the directories and things like that. And some are like printing out uh, portfolios and going to reviews to, to speak with editors and creative directors face to face. Like, where where do you fall in this gradient of of marketing? Yeah, I mean, to be honest, luckily I have been fortunate enough to be kind of busy enough that I don't have to spend a lot of time pounding down the doors and you know ask looking for new opportunities at at this current moment. But um, even working as a geologist, I worked in consulting, uh, so that industry had a lot of ups and downs and it was honestly very similar where you would do a lot of proposals and kind of look for new clients and send out a lot of stuff. And then you reel in a project, you work on that project, complete it, you know, you're out in the field a lot of the times collecting samples, which is pretty much like taking photos and then you're back compiling all this data, which is kind of like just coming back and editing everything. And so just being professional through that process is good. But then I also, there was a lot of ups and downs, you know, where there'd be a month where there not much going on and how to, you know, either learn new skills during that time or start, you know, looking at new marketing techniques and seeing, you know, mm -hmm. what's the latest trend in the industry during that time. So I think that was super helpful to just kind of have that um, kind of career background coming into it where there'd be, you know, days where you're out and doing, doing geology stuff all day. 12 hours and there'd be some days you're kind of twiddling your thumb like what's going on what's going on here mm -hmm. um so knowing how to to navigate that the ups and downs is very similar to freelancing because yeah there's times where you just have you know three or four projects in a row and things are going great and then there's you know that month where you're just sitting there at the computer wondering you know <laughs> what's, what should i do next and how do i keep this going um so that's kind of my background there yeah, it's always interesting to see how um, some folks approach it, you know. Um, and if something is already working, uh, you kind of keep you kind of keep it going, right? Um, mm -hmm. So that's that's great, man. Um, um, congrats on staying busy um, as a freelancer. You know, that's that's an accomplishment, and it means that you're doing work that um, that's resonating. You know, that's resonating. Yeah, it's it's nice. And I mean, sometimes I feel like it's almost like I don't even want to stand out, but I just want to fit in with all the other professional work. Like that's to me almost the biggest honor of just like being at that level. And it's almost like if no one, it, if it doesn't almost stick out too much too, then it's like that's a good thing too, where you're just on the on the same par with everyone else. So Wait, you said you don't want your work to stick out? Uh, well, I mean... It, at a certain point, I do, but almost in the commercial world, I would say I almost don't. Or, I, you know, I, I wanted to be cohesive with the other top photographers, you know. Um, so, that, so it you know, it can stick out in a good way and a bad way. Like, oh, like, who's this amateur or this shot stunning? But I also, I guess I find a certain value and respect of just kind of that meeting the bar, you know, it's a high bar sometimes. And, you know, just being in the league with some of the other great photographers that I've looked up to mm -hmm. is, you know, something I don't take for granted, I would say. Do you consider yourself an amateur? Uh, no, I, I don't think I do. Okay. I thought you, I thought I heard you say like, oh, somebody referencing a photo, like, hey, who's this amateur or, you know, with this stunning shot? 
Oh, no, I, I was just saying that I guess you could be, if you're looking, let's say you're flipping through a catalog and one of the images stands out as being amateur, you know, ah, that's one way okay. your, your shot okay. could stand out Got or it. it could stand out as being stunning. But then there's also, let's say there's 50 photos in the catalog and mine's just one that you, you know, you look at and you're like, this is, you know, this okay. is, what's in the catalog, you know? I got and you're it. like, yeah, that's, to me, that's an honor too. <laughs> I know most I people it. don't really look at it that way, but to me, I, I kind of just, if I was in a Nat Geo, you know, like actually one of the full circle photos is in Nat Geo, this next issue coming up. So oh, nice. I just hope that that photo is, you know, like on par with, you know, everything else in there, you know, and it's kind of like, oh, who was this grainy old photo in here or something, but, you know, just being on par with all the other best adventure, you know, photographers that they have with them is to me the honor. I just watched this presentation um, that a uh, uh, woman from uh, Nat Geo, Whitney Johnson, she put on, she was part of this teen academy that I work with, and she did this presentation of what uh, Nat Geo was doing in like the media space. And it was mm-hmm. just mind blowing, and like Nat Geo continues to be one of like this, just visually just pushing the boundaries, man. So, um, if your photo was selected out of like a handful of photos you submitted, and they and they're running it, is good. Like it's gonna <laughs> is good because they are not at a loss for beautiful imagery. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I think some I don't know if you've ever experienced this, um, but I know. A lot of my uh, not colleagues' experiences sometimes feeling like, you know, our work is not good enough, and um, sometimes we might only be getting a call because the editor feels sorry, or only because I'm black I'm getting this call, or they only ran these images because of whatever. Yeah, you, know, you we start making up these stories about why mm-hmm. our work is being selected, and not owning the fact that nah it's being selected because we're good because this photo is worthy and and uh, of being published you know um like do you ever have moments where you are like doubting yourself and your your, your talent and your ability um I don't, I don't really think not too much i mean definitely coming up i've do you think I have more to learn? I think that that's a healthy mindset that you're always open-minded and want to learn new things. But also I think you can, as you know, a photographer, you can break down images, look at, you know, other people's images and your own. And I think I can see, um, you know, the skill level of certain photographers and I can see that in my own work. And so I think I'm pretty self-confident in where I'm at. And of course I'm looking to continue to grow and stuff, but I also do know that, I have the skills and I have the ability to to do it. That's great. And um, you mentioned something about uh, keeping a beginner's mind in a sense, like always learning, always be open to mm-hmm. learning and growing. You know, um, yeah, yeah, I agree with that. I, I feel like I I will learn um, forever. I will always. Mm-hmm. I will never feel like I'm above taking classes um, and learning something new or signing up for new workshops or programs or whatever. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm right along with you as far as learning. Like I believe I have the skills, the skill set to do the things that I want to do. Um, sometimes I I get frustrated if I want to do something that's beyond my skill set at the current time, um, and something that I need to practice um, in order to get good at it. And I'm frustrated because I want to be good now. Mm-hmm. You know, um, but I'm reminding myself that you know nobody starts at the top. Nobody starts out being a master at anything. We have mm-hmm. to like put in those hours, put in that work in order to get better and make those mistakes. Making mistakes is part of the learning process, you know? So um, that's the self-talk that I have, you know, and always remembering, reminding myself that, it's, you know, you need to learn, you need to practice. Definitely. I think one of the biggest things for me in photography is uh, having like consistency, and I also feel like I started getting hired more and more when people saw like what you could do in one day kind of consistently versus um, especially with Instagram, you're seeing kind of single and one-off images. But when people know like you can show up and make a consistent, you know, catalog of images, um, that's really kind of, in my opinion, what separates to like the pro from the amateur. It's like, sure, you might really get one or two good shots, but can you just consistently be able to work this situation, understand what's going on? And and how that? Yeah, absolutely. Like um, this 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 teen academy that I 
um, workshop that I just came from a few days ago, uh, they these these young people, high school age, right? They were learning the elements of a photo essay, right? Um, mm-hmm. They needed to um, photograph an establishing shot, right? An environmental shot. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, a portrait of the person, a detail shot of what this person is doing, right? Um, trans- yeah. Transition shots, you know, um, exactly. all these different the things. Whole, yeah. Yeah, the whole storytelling element. And I do the same thing, actually. If I'm going to some unknown situation, I'll kind of make like a shot list, like you just went down. I'm like, look at the establishment shot. It doesn't matter what it is. Could be, Everest could be the front of my house, you know? Mm-hmm. But yeah, just getting getting that and knowing those pieces and things like that, I feel like that's really what makes you a pro. It's not some secret camera setting or some great, you know, you know, one banger photo you got. It's just knowing, having that mindset and having your process and being consistent and thorough to tell the story. Is Absolutely. And, and um, so I've been doing more like directing and, you know, I see my, my style of photography showing up in how I, how I direct and, mm, you yeah. know, but uh, so understanding like uh you know we got to get the wide shot and then a medium shot then a close up and you know start applying that in in different different scenes so sometimes it's with a person sometimes it's just uh of of an environment but making mm-hmm. sure that when you go back to the edit that you you the story flows visually and it's not just a repetition of the same type of shots with the same camera lens and exactly exactly right so you want the you know one thing i was mentioning to these young people is to pay attention to how movies flow you know Mm -hmm. um you know you don't always just see a character from the same perspective like when there's a crucial moment and that character is going through something emotionally is like a a close-up right but Mm -hmm. if we want to know where that character is then it's a wide shot. Like if they're sitting at a restaurant, we need to see what the restaurant looks like and what the street looks like, right? So taking that and applying it to um, a photo assignment makes the editor, gives the editor a lot more to work with to help push the story along, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, working with uh, more editorial outlets too. I realized that that's super important because they, they're not just looking for this one cover photo. They need to tell the whole story to go along with the words and, you know, and the piece. So yeah, I totally have that mindset going into everything. Nice. Nice. So, uh, with all that you do with all the outdoor, um, you know, the out- outdoor passion that you have and also like your photography, like, uh, and, and directing, uh, experience like how do you what do you who do you look to 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 inspire you are you like do you study other um you know out athletes in the outdoor space uh are you studying other photographers like how do you find and and stay inspired yeah that's a good question um yeah i do think i i'm mostly influenced by a lot of the other other photographers in the space and just kind of what they're they're doing and what they're shooting and paying attention to everything and kind of learning little things you know if i see a shot that i i like they did that i didn't think of or something i'll try to maybe incorporate something like that into my own work or just give it a try and learn new things and so that's always refreshing that's kind of like where the creativity comes into and just you know looking at who is looking at things a little bit differently and how are they doing it and um, especially in the mountains and stuff, it can be similar similar environments, but we, you know, like we're all in that same on the same mountain or in the woods or whatever. The woods are the woods, but like people have so many different views and perspectives when they're shooting there. That that's what I'm always trying to keep in mind. We mentioned that this sport is not uh, it's not as diverse as it could be. How do you see like the the outdoor sports world? evolving as it you know in regards to diversity and inclusion yeah there's um definitely i would say more participation and uh at least from the marketing side you know there's definitely been a great uh push by the industry to include more diverse subjects and kind of the stories that they're telling and in their marketing materials so that's been really cool and um but yeah, I think, you know, there's still a lot of work to be done and a lot of people ask kind of what's, how do we do that? 
Um, but yeah, I listened to another podcast actually with uh, Justin Williams, who's a you know bike racer in California, who's kind of at the top of the game. He someone asked him that similar question. He said black leadership, you know, and that always kind of stuck with me. Of like, oh yeah, and I do see a lot of the most important things in the industry, kind of just what Phil did, you know, it does take that leadership to kind of know what the community needs and to step up and get it done. So that's something that we got to keep working on. This is Evan Green and you're tuned in to the Black Shutter Podcast. I want to give a big shout out to everyone who tuned into this episode. Thank you for listening. The Black Shutter Podcast is hosted by me, Idris Talib Solomon. To subscribe to the Black Shutter Podcast, head over to iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. When you get there, show us some love by dropping a five-star rating or leaving a review. This will help with our rankings, which essentially helps more black photographers get exposure. Make sure to check us out online at blackshutterpodcast.com to read the show notes, learn more about our guests, and check out some of their work. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Peace. Until next time.